Are you an HR department of one trying to figure out how to balance task and strategy while keeping up with changes in regulatory compliance? Do you need a fresh outlook on old topics? Then stop what you're doing, grab your coffee, and get ready to recharge. If you have people, you have problems to solve and things to do. Your host is Brenda Neckvottle, a 20-year human resource professional, ready to explore the HR industry with veterans of business and life with fresh eyes and new ideas. Learn about the rapidly evolving changes in employment law around the country, as well as new tactics to deploy and build engagement in your workforce. If you're looking to implement new practices to make your job easier in HR, then this podcast is for you. Hey everyone, and welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to the Best Practices in Human Resource podcast. My name is Brenda, I am your host. I am really excited to have you guys back here and very, very grateful. If you are a returning listener and have been tuning in for a little while, thank you so much for coming back and sharing the adventure yet one more time. And if you've never been a listener on the show, welcome for the first time. Uh, the show is designed to be very informative. It's, you know, try and keep it very um, unique and organic and, infor- and not the same old stuff that's talked about in the field of HR over and over and over again. We're here to actually give you uh, real solutions to real problems in real time. So today we have in the studio, if you're hearing some snoring going on, that is Champ the Lovable Wonder Dog, my 14 and a half year old Cocker Spaniel who is Prince Nighty Night behind me, and then um, Lola who is my veteran comfort dog who is a, I think she, I think she's about nine-ish, she is a great Pyrenees and she has a tendency to chime in periodically and lets me know what is going on out in the real world. So um, today we're going to be talking about employment law changes across the nation. We've got a really interesting topic that hasn't really been discussed a lot, but we're starting to see some potential movement in changes across the U.S., and that is obesity in the U.S. and what the U.S. appeals court has upheld as far as a decision in regards to whether or not obesity is actually going to be considered covered under the American with Disabilities Act. So we're going to talk about that. Got some announcements for you and a free resource. So it's going to be another really great show. And before we begin, folks, just understand that the information that is available through this podcast is for informational purposes only and not for the purpose of providing legal advice. You should contact your attorney or your employment attorney to obtain legal advice with respect to any particular issue. If you do not have one, go ahead and reach out to me and I might be able to refer one to you through our affiliate program and our partner with that is Jackson Lewis and they are a phenomenal uh, nationwide um, firm. I've been working with them for a number of years and some really really great talent coming out of that. Okay so let's talk employment law changes around the country. So something I haven't done for a little while is actually give you guys an update on posters. And this is these are this is an announcement that is updated I pay attention to from our other affiliates over at the Employment Law Compliance Center. And they're really great people. Um, they keep a bead on all of these changes. And I'm going to run down a bunch of stuff for you here as to what has changed. And we're going to go all the way back to June. So um, definitely it's all about keeping it fresh and in perspective. So in certain California cities, 
as of July 1st, you guys, you have poster changes. So I'm going to read those off to you. I know it's been a little bit, but I'm going to do it again. Alameda, Berkeley, Emeryville, Fremont, Los Angeles, Milipitas, Pasadena, Santa Monica, San Francisco. If you guys are employers in those cities and you have not ordered posters, you're going to want to do so. And I'm going to tell you how to do that in a minute. Also, folks in Chicago, Cook County, Illinois, you guys also have poster updates as well. Portland, Maine, Michigan, Massachusetts, District of Columbia, Maryland, Montgomery County in Maryland, and Oregon, as well as Washington, D.C., you guys all have poster changes. And you can go ahead and go to the bestpractices.org website click on the affiliates tab scroll down just a little bit until you get to the labor law compliance center you click on that link there but before you do make sure you write down the code posters 2019 and you can get 25 percent off on these posters now I'm going to tell you something that I learned with one of my clients um, a client of mine has a service where they can obtain complimentary posters it's part of their package and I said hey listen your state has had a poster update go ahead and order posters so we went ahead and ordered posters well guess what that company sent them the same ones that they already had there was no change to it verified the date looked at all the language sure enough it was the same thing so the team over at labor law compliance center really keeps up on what's going on that's the reason why I refer them to you guys that's the reason why I trust them that's the reason why I like them is because not every company that offers you a poster or posters as part of their uh, package is going to keep as strong an eye on what's going on so because they rely on another vendor so definitely keep your ears to the ground on that kind of stuff and labor law compliance center is also available for that um, folks I almost forgot one call out federal contractors there is an updated poster you guys have a separate poster so if you are a federal contractor I know I'm backtracking a little bit and I apologize but this is an important call out you are required to have your state employment poster posted your federal employment poster posted and those two requirements are for every employer in the US you always have to have two you can't just rely on your state you need your federal and you need your state up but if you are a federal contractor you have to have the third poster which is called federal contractor poster that also needs to be displayed as well so oddly enough um, there really hasn't been a lot of change going on this past week I think we've kind of gotten through a lot of our a lot of the big shift the mid-year shift that's been going on with different types of you know legislative changes at the state level um, haven't seen very much come across at the federal level and um, so we'll see what next week holds but the only call out that I want to make is this really is just a head up heads up for employers down over in South Carolina South Carolina actually recently has done away with common law marriage and some people are like well what's the big deal on that well it could impact a couple of things depending upon exactly what it is that they are calling out and common law marriage uh, marriage as well as being able to identify somebody as um, a domestic partner could potentially impact well from an employment perspective only could impact 
possibility of being eligible for benefits and things like that. So um, for those of you who are down in South Carolina, make sure that you are definitely paying attention to that as well. So today we're going to be talking about a very interesting topic that seems to be having some motion across the country and it really doesn't seem like something that we would be focused on but apparently it's starting to get some attention and that is determining whether or not obesity alone in and of itself is enough to be deemed as a disability under American with Disabilities Act and of course everybody who knows extreme obesity or obesity does have a tendency to it doesn't have a tendency it actually will uh, increase long-term health care conditions for an individual um, it makes a lot of physical uh, complications uh, reduction and limitation um, definitely opens up opportunity for long-term diseases such as health um, you know heart disease diabetes uh, pulmonary circulatory it just knocks out a lot of things out of the body and so when you're talking about extreme disability extreme obesity there's been a number of cases that have been brought to the court in regards to could it be covered under American with Disabilities Act so um, this was a decision that actually came out in July so it's it's very fresh and I'm gonna read you the synopsis on this I'll give you some backstory and we're going to kind of go back just a little bit in history on it so you guys understand what this is. So basically it's the Seventh Circuit Court in the U.S. Court of Appeals that held that obesity alone is not a protected disability under American with Disabilities Act. Now a disability is defined as a physical and mental impairment that substantially limits one or more major life functions. and um, it also is something that if, an, if somebody could be regarded as having a disability, that is also protected or there is an actual record of that individual's impairment. So somebody being regarded could be, for instance, somebody with a significant hearing problem and you can call their name 17 times and they turn around and they're like, what'd you say? Right? And then you act as an employer under that kind of mental or perceived view that this person has a disability as they're hard of hearing. Well, if you try and terminate them and you constantly regard it and there's evidence to show that you regard them as having it, that actually becomes protected. So, um, so it's a very, very broad definition. I mean, in some cases, it almost seems like if you have the sniffles, you could be covered under ADA, but it, it is also very specific, too. So, um, anyway, in this case, um, this is a case that was uh, Richardson versus the Chicago Transit Authority. It took place uh, back in, the, the case started, the incident itself started in about 2005 through 2009, <clears throat> and... Um, it, it culminated in 2010 so it so it is a few years old and so you know folks when people have heard me say oh do what you can to mitigate risk in cases I mean we're here in 2019 and this appeals case has just been determined from incidences that took place and were filed many years ago so think about that 
that is a lot of time, a lot of money, and a lot of life that's been put into a particular case. So, you know, listen, when when you if you think that you're going to skate through on something, this is a good one for to get you to think twice because the outcome was not favored as in the plaintiff. It was favored for the employer. So, um let's take a look at what all those details are. So basically, um, he was a bus driver for the CTA or Chicago Transit Authority and um, his weight actually rose. It, be it began to increase from about 350 pounds around 2005 to well over 560 pounds in 2009. And in 2010, he missed work because of the flu when he attempted to come back um, he had to go through and, and get medical documentation in order to come back but the medical provider which was um, a third-party administrator um, provided information that he had hypertension that could not be controlled and therefore he was not able to return to work until that blood pressure was manageable so that's a big deal um, you don't want somebody driving around human beings' lives, humans' lives, when they've got a condition that can't be controlled or isn't under control. So he was put in a temporary position um, that is really deemed for individuals who are not medically able to perform the essential functions of the job. So it's they're unfit. So he basically didn't pass his fit for duty test and upon his return to make sure that he could return safely and so what they did is that they they didn't terminate him they just put him into another job category they put him into a temporary position so um, he wasn't losing anything at this point so he was deemed fit to return to work in September of that year however there was somebody that noted that the bus seats were not designed to accommodate drivers um, who actually weighed more than 400 pounds and at this point we're now talking about a gentleman who's weighing well over 560 pounds so as a result CTA uh, required him to complete a special assessment to determine whether he could safely perform his job prior to returning to work as a bus driver so the CTA assessors determined that he could drive all of the buses in a safe and trusted manner however in the assessment they noted several safety concerns including that he could not do a turn that required hand over hand turns so basically what he was doing is he was shuffling his hands along the steering wheel versus being able to cross his hands when making a, a, a turn right, in his arms he also cross pedaled which means that he used both of his feet on the gas and the brake and the brake pedal so it basically that means that he wasn't just using one leg he was having to use both because he couldn't move one leg to from one pedal to the other and he also rested his leg near the door handle which you know in a situation like that could um, either prohibit somebody from opening the door or his leg could inadvertently open the door while the vehicle was in trans was in motion so Due to those safety concerns, the CTA determined that Richardson would not be able to safely operate the bus and then transferred him back to the temporary position where he just came out of um, for individuals that were not fit to return to work. So 
after two years of being in this position, in this temporary position, which apparently at this point he went into an inactive status and failed to submit documentation to extend his time in that role, he was terminated in February of 2012. Now that's a big key call out right here. Failed to submit documentation to extend his time in that particular position. That is a key, key, it's a huge thing because just because you can be regarded as having a disability or just because you are asking for an accommodation, have you noticed that there has been a documentation process all along? So if you have never gone through an ADA claim and if you are an employer who's not familiar with this, I'm telling you right now, it is a long and extensive process. It is one of those processes where it will drive you crazy as a leader. And I'm just being blunt and honest. I'm not meaning that to be, you know, to sound rude or mean or anything like that. But that is a hardcore fact. These things take an extensive amount of time, especially depending on situations like this where things pop up, where the initial situation opened up a can of worms. So in this case, he went out of work. He had to come back and have a fit for duty test that he was okay and cleared to come back to work after having flu, to only to find out they had another medical condition, only to find out that his physical body um, exceeded limits of, you know, the actual piece of equipment that he was using, and not to mention his physical condition reduced, you know, his mobility was reduced so much that it actually created safety concerns. So instead of just releasing him, they erred on the side of caution and followed a really long, you know, tried and true process of working with the employee, documenting everything, and providing the employee every opportunity to do what is necessary in order to find a, a midpoint resolution to something that is quite obviously very complicated and very complex. But you know, not necessary nonetheless. They didn't just release him, they're trying to work with the guy, right? So this process takes a long time. I mean, we're now two years into this process and after two years of m probably making several requests in writing that you needed to have the documentation in, it didn't get done. So needless to say, the employee filed a suit against CTA claiming that they violated the Ford, uh, not Affordable Care Act, oh my gosh, American with Disabilities Act by refusing to allow him to return to work because it regarded him as being too obese to work as a bus operator, as a bus driver. So the Seventh Circuit Court affirming the judge of the district court held, so this was, the Seventh Court is the U.S. Court of Appeals. So what this is just simply saying is that the, that the Court of Appeals judge ruled continuously in favor of the district court that Richardson, the employee's obesity, was not a protected di a disability under ADA because he had not presented evidence that his obesity was caused by a physiological disorder or condition or that anyone at his employer perceived him, his obesity, as a disability. So those are another two big key call-outs right there. Because remember I, I elaborated more on you have to be perceived as having a disability. So in and of itself, obesity, I mean obesity is a disease. We know that. However, 
in and of itself unless you can determine that it is a physiological order or a condition then it could potentially be deemed as a condition under uh, protected under ADA that doesn't mean that everybody who's obese isn't automatically protected those are the underlying things is that you have to prove that is a physiological disorder or condition or that he has been documented it is documented that he's disabled because of obesity under those provisions or he is regarded as having okay by the employer so those are huge huge call outs and like I said this takes a very long time so based on the definition of physical impairment that was used um, basically what it means is that any physiological disorder or condition that affects one or more body systems as under the de under the definition of, of you know what a disability is under ADA so based on that definition of physical impairment the court determined that obesity was not a disability and there was evidence and unless there was evidence of an underlying physiological disorder which he was not able to prove so on the contrary you know obesity as a whole could obesity may be a protected disability if there is evidence of an underlying physiological disorder or a condition but um, obesity it, it then it basically takes on a whole new face right it grows its own head so contrary to that <laughs> not too not too long ago um, actually this this came out just the other day this week that the state of Wisconsin oh my gosh I said it again the state of Washington Washington State Washington State Washington State um, issued a state issued a determination in the state Supreme Court that it is illegal under state law to refuse to hire an obese individual if they are otherwise qualified for the job when it is defined when it defined obesity as a disability under state law so it's so we've talked about patchwork law many times already and the biggest area where we see patchwork law right now is with marijuana and marijuana laws we see patchwork laws with equal pay we see patchwork laws with FMLA now some states are adopting and cities are adopting individual family medical leave protection and um, ban the box as to what could be um, asked as far as any type of criminal background or if somebody's been uh, you know has been convicted of a crime in addition to that we're also seeing individuals who that there's a restriction on whether you can ask for prior salary history so could this be the next wave that was five things I just listed right there could this be the next wave it's possible it depends on how rooted this thing gets and if it grows legs um, you know it, it is no secret that here in the United States we are getting heavier in this country and so this is going to be pretty big so let's talk about Washington State for a few more minutes so the courts ruled that the state's definition of disability in the state included individuals with disability that offer a significantly broader scope than what the federal disability law is 
Weight is not listed as a protected category under Title VII. And for those of you who are not familiar with Title VII, short version, that is the provision of the law that prohibits you from discriminating against anybody for their race, their religion, their gender, right? And, and those I know you've heard. You may not necessarily know the full definition of it. If you're an HR pro, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're an HR sprout, you probably know what I'm talking about as well. So it is not listed as a protected category. Um, there are a few laws that kind of directly address obesity discrimination. Michigan has a law that explicitly protects against discrimination with employment on the basis of weight. There's a few cities that also address it as well, such as Washington, D.C. and San Francisco. Um, Massachusetts is moving in that area as well. Uh, they've introduced a bill uh, earlier this year that could make discrimination um, Ill unlawful again, on the basis of both height and weight. So the Washington State Court decision really confronted, really kind of for the first time, well, other than Michigan, um, you know, what obesity is as far as the classification of it. So it's the ruling is, is that the medical evidence for obesity shows that there's a phys, that that it is a physiological disorder or a condition that affects many of the list of, of the body systems and that obesity is merely not a status of being overweight but it is actually recognized by the medical community as a primary disease and I apologize for stumbling all over this but um, I want to make sure that I get this out and say it accurately because I don't want it to be misperceived. Now, there's also a big old yeah but as to where this could also rear its head as well. And this is really where it gets wonky. Um, there is a protect, there's an act out there called GINA. And it's spelled, the acronym is G-I-N-A. And it is the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act of 2008. And it bars workplace discrimination on the basis of a person's genetic history or their individual makeup as a separate source of protection um, in the workplace. Now, it could also serve as a separate source of protection under obese workers if it is determined that the obesity is part of a person's genetic history. However, that argument in and of itself is in contention. Not everybody who's obese is obese because of a genetic condition. And that would have to be proven in court. However, Gina gets very complicated because an employer can't ask for that information. So if somebody's going to claim it under Gina, the employer is not legally entitled to any type of family genetic history, any information. So that so that way when people are filing claims, you know, for benefit coverage and medical coverage and things like that, the employer has no legal right to a lot of this information. So a lot of this is kind of protected under Gina. So when you know companies are talking about putting together um, an all-inclusive information data-driven type of uh, you know program to help benefit employees and get their health you know their health up. Um, that is actually you got to be careful about that because you're not entitled to that information I mean if somebody's out on a leave of absence the only thing an employer is entitled to know is when they're going out how long they're gonna be out 
if they're able to return with or with accommodation and when are they coming back other than that you're not entitled to nothing <laughs> even if the employee tells you what's going on you're not even supposed to be able to act on that stuff so um, so it's it's gonna get kinda interesting it's gonna get really interesting so if you have a situation where you are concerned about an individual's weight and whether or not that is going to impact somebody, impact themselves in the workplace. And, and I've had this come up. I've had to sit down and have a conversation with a gentleman in our office whose face literally went red all the time. And he was a big guy. Um, and I had to very compassionately sit down and ask him and tell him that, listen, there are people here that are concerned about you and your well-being and your health. Um, you know, and we had a very good conversation about it, but I mean, his face would turn beet red. And when, after it turned red, it would kind of go a little pale gray. I have not heard anything about him, and I really hope that he's taken, you know, his health matters into consideration and, and you know, really kind of moved the needle on, in, you know, taking care of himself. But um, there have been a couple of times with profuse sweating, uh, the change in the color, um, his breathing that you know it definitely became became a point of concern so what do you do when you've got a situation like that well one of the things that you should be doing is you should have a conversation if you are really concerned about an individual's health and well-being there's nothing wrong that that to sit down and actually say hey I'm concerned about you and here are the reasons why but you also want to when you do that realize that you are opening an opportunity to probably learn more information that you are not entitled to learn um, it's not a bad idea to bounce this off of an HR professional or bounce this off of an employment attorney to be able to say I have a legitimate concern about this person's well-being how do I handle this situation and as much as I want to provide more information on that because of what is you know changing in the landscape of things who knows what's going to come up <laughs> right but really if you're coming from a position to where all you want to do is just really make sure that they are okay then um, there truly isn't anything wrong with it just make sure that you f work with somebody to get the right language in order to do that and you know you're welcome to reach out to me you're welcome to reach out to you know your employment attorney you're welcome to bounce this off another HR professional who's had experience doing it and has had success with it um, you know, but don't take this one solo because you may wind up really kind of going down a rabbit hole that you didn't anticipate. So some other best practices that you can do is um, you really want to take a look at knee-jerk reactions. And, you know, we've talked about knee-jerk reactions before and they never serve anybody at all. And bias in the workplace is, it's a human condition it's something that every employer is going to fight, every HR professional is going to fight as well. But um, one of the things that can get you into trouble is that if you've got an individual who, you know, you're concerned about, and, and if you have not received any type of legal guidance or professional guidance on this, and you summon somebody for a physical examination or, or want them to fill out a medical questionnaire because you found some form online and you saw some article and you think like, oh, yeah, this is great, I got this, uh, be very careful about that. Because if you are uh, requiring one person for a fit-for-duty test and nobody else, you're opening a door for a lawsuit. Um, 
so you want to be very careful about it. You also want to focus in on are they capable of performing the essential functions of the role and the answer is yes then that really should be your your criteria for making any type of adverse uh, action determinations and again the difference between adverse impact and adverse action adverse impact simply means that on the surface your your actions and your determinations seem to be you know benign and not hurting the workplace however they actually do it actually does cross a legal line whereas an adverse action is a knowing uh, determination of an a person's ability to work in, in the workforce. So um, also make sure that in your job descriptions you have it very clear as to what the expectations of the role are including um, physical requirements not physical limitations and not requirements meaning you know must be able to bench press you know 17 times their own body weight that's not what I'm referring to or they have a size 32 waist that's not it at all what I'm referring to is you need to be very clear are they sitting standing kneeling squatting are they going to be bending down are they going to be crawling around in tight spaces are they going to be exposed to the elements outside for an extended period of time you want to get really descriptive about the workplace environment you know are they going to be exposed to different types of radiation and radiation is not I'm not talking about elements on the periodic table I'm referring to things such as microwaves, sound waves, vibration, right? Those are different forms of radiation. So um, cell towers, things like that, right? High tech communication systems, um, anywhere where there are massive satellite dishes around. Th those are forms of radiation that people don't necessarily think in terms of radiation, but they actually are. So um, you want to make sure that you are very, very clear on what the workplace conditions are as far as that particular job goes and the meaning the environment, right? The, you, are you in an office or are you in and out all day long? Or are you working solely outside? Are you going to be in a vehicle where you're not going to have a lot of you know opportunity to move your legs around and you're going to wind up losing some circulation? So, um, so those are some things that you can put into place. And um, we're going to definitely, I, I'm keeping an eye on what is going on with this because this isn't the end of it. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of very unique things changing in the landscape of our country and employment law. And um, I tend to think that at some point in time, this is definitely going to move forward. So we're, you know, we'll just have to be a little vigilant about this and, and pay attention. And um, definitely when I see some motion on it, or if I see something else coming up, I'm going to, by all means, I'm going to be sharing that with you guys. So I want to know what your questions are. I'm very curious to find out what it is that you guys are interested in learning about, hearing about. I want to know what your questions are. So you can submit your questions on the bestpractices.org website by clicking on the podcast link from the menu down towards the bottom of the podcast page. And there's a submission form for you to post your question. And, and if you post a question, I am more than likely going to be reading it um, and answering it on an upcoming episode. Now, today's question is, is workers' compensation supposed to benefit employers or employees? So I'll give you 10 to 1 as to who was actually asking this question. It was asked by an employee. So 
Um, when an employee tends to ask some of these questions, um, we've done this on prior episode, that there's always a reason why. So workers' compensation is actually designed to benefit both, to be completely honest with you. First and foremost, it is designed to help protect and provide some form of compensation to the employee in the event that they are injured through a workplace accident. And it is as just like it is with ADA, it can be a it can be a lengthy process depending upon the severity of the injury, uh, depending upon the complexities of the situation. Um, it it a workers' compensation claim could be open for several years, if sometimes not decades, kind of depending on what's going on. So, as it benefits the employee, a workers' compensation provision insurance and all the things that it provides is that it provides coverage for the employee. Now it doesn't provide a hundred percent coverage typically and that would be completely dependent upon how it's written in the the policy itself. Typically it only covers sixty percent in most cases it could potentially cover a little bit more Um, but that's what it's designed to. How it benefits the employer is that the employer is not supposed to be in a position to turn to determine whether or not an accident should be compensated for as far as wages lot potential for lost wages to be compensated for under a workers compensation claim so therefore that's why there's the insurance and matter of fact in many states if you don't have workers compensation insurance and you have w2 employees and it's discovered you're criminally liable for that so you want to be very careful. Don't not have workers' compensation insurance if you don't ha- if you have W-2 employees. That's incredibly risky because of the criminal liability involved in that. So how it protects an employer is that first off, anytime somebody's injured at work, and, and we all know what it's like when somebody says, "I've got a condition," or "I've you know I'm hurting here physically somewhere in my body." Everybody starts going, "Oh God, they pulled the medical card out." Well. Workers' compensation is designed to allow the process to go through every step of the claim to determine whether or not from a neutral third party as to whether or not the claim should be paid. If the insurance company determines that yes, the injury did in fact occur at work and it is a uh, injury and the events actually meet the criteria and it should be covered then the insurance company deems that. It takes that responsibility and that liability away from the employer. However, not every injury is truly covered or should be covered under workers' compensation. And sometimes there are unfair events that prevent the employer from really kind of not winning in that area. And I'll give you for instance. So if you have and I've seen some pretty interesting ones. So let's say, for example, you've got an employee who is walking through the building and all of a sudden breaks their arm while opening a door. And believe it or not, it can happen. There's some, you know, pretty heavy metal doors out there and it just, the the situation just, <laughs> bam, it just jacks up their arm and they wind up having some sort of fracture on, on their arm. So while they're on, their, on your property, while they are engaged in the building, while they're on the clock, could that be covered? Yeah, absolutely it is because it's from your property. Now, and that's just somebody, you know, walking. Um, 
what if you have somebody who you have um, wood beams that are kind of stacked up uh, about three or four high and you have an employee that's walking on them like a balance beam in an area of the building where they don't typically belong and they slip and they sprain their ankle is it covered under workers compensation well the answer to that is yeah it probably is however there is something that you guys can do now that's not necessarily a fair situation right neither is somebody breaking their arm walking through a door a necessarily a fair situation but the person who was acting in an unsafe manner by walking on you know materials that could present a hazard in an area that they don't belong you can discipline somebody for something like that and I'm only going to use that as an example that doesn't mean you can discipline everybody because it is subjective right but you wouldn't necessarily discipline the person walking through a door right you would want to remind them to operate in the building in a safe manner and I know that sounds kind of goofy but that's actually a best practice is that you always want to educate your employees when there is some form of workers compensation now I will tell you that there are people out there that run a gamut and they run a game and I've I've seen I've seen a couple of them so I I'm eventually I'm gonna do a workers compensation show and I can tell you some of these stories so I I don't wanna share them all now because they're actually really juicy and, and I'd rather I'd rather wait for another time but um, you know to answer the question it really is designed to put protection in place for both and then not to mention that if an employer were to so if an employer were to discipline somebody for you know work for doing something in an unsafe manner and the definition of it then yeah they're fine but you know what you also want to be very careful that you're not putting yourself in a position of retaliating or appearing to have retaliated because that just opens up and invites problems and essentially you know you're you're inviting a lawsuit at that point so you know just because somebody has an accident at work doesn't necessarily mean that it warrants doing something to get them out uh, because you know you want to be careful not to mention when you have a workers compensation claim and there's a bona fide injury in there you own that injury for the rest of that person's life and it doesn't matter if they stayed in that state if they've moved on to another job or, or whatever you own that injury as an employer for the rest of that individual's life so if there's something that comes up that is repetitive that um, back injuries are pretty known for that something like that if there's major back surgery and it can get botched or if it's um, you know the person you know has a lifelong disability you own that and you'll be paying for that your insurance will be paying for that forever and ever and ever so workers compensation tends to be a little a little cumbersome but um, it is actually designed to protect both the employer and the employee alright so we got some announcements um, I announced this on the last episode that the new HR University by best practices is up it's online it is um, the online training database that I've started to grow and every week I am committed to adding one new course so what is released as of today is a new workshop called the American with Disabilities Act for employers and what it does is we've kind of touched on some of this stuff today so timing is perfect um, it's a workshop I've delivered before in the past and have converted it into an online course and it really is designed to help employers understand 
what American with Disabilities Act is all about and some best practices around that. Now the course is $49 and every time I release a course for the first five days you can get 50% off by using the code that is specific for the course. <laughs> so once this ends on Sunday August, August 11th then the course is going to go back up to $49. So if you want to take advantage of this, you have five days to get this course at 50% off, and you want to go ahead and use code ADA5. That's Alpha David Alpha 5. And then also, um, we're going into the last quarter of the month, um, the back half of it, and we are looking at workshops, workshops, workshops. So I've released the first and scheduled the first on-location workshop in Virginia Beach. And um, later that month, we're also going to do a second one in Chesapeake. But they were also going to have the Chesapeake one available for a virtual uh, course as well. So you'll be able to, if you are not in the state of Virginia or in the area, you can actually go ahead and sign up and take the course virtually live <laughs> and this one is my employee smokes pot and with everything that is going on with the changes in marijuana law uh, the timing really couldn't be better on that so and then also look if you want to if you want to find out some other things that we've got going on um, I've also got the series of holy cow books that are coming out um, I've got two that are out right now um, I've got more planned the first one is holy cow I have to fill out an i9 form and the other one is holy cow I have to talk to my boss and the i9 is in a is a tool to help a company the M247 book that is released by uh, USCIS that helps people understand how to complete an i9 this really is just squashed it down plus some best practices uh, mixed in there as far as you know what do you do you potentially get audited and then the holy cow I have to talk to my boss helps give you four rules to work with so that way you can make some serious improvements in how you communicate with your boss because let's face it bosses will have a lot more problems than you and I ever will <laughs> it's just the way it works if you're a boss you've got more problems than anybody else and <clears throat> and there's a lot of books out there on how bosses can work to relate to their employees this is just the opposite is gives some best practices for employees on how they can build better relationships with their boss and actually get to where they want to go in their career and at the workplace. So you can find both of those books on the bestpractices.work website as well. Um, if you want to go ahead and book some time with me, by all means, please go ahead and do so. Um, we've got a scheduling tool that's available up on the website as well. Um, you can go ahead and uh, there's a couple of different options. You can get a shorter call, you can schedule a longer call, and we can talk about all sorts of HR things that is not a problem. Um, if you want to find out everything else that I'm up to and all the other updates that are going to be coming out, you can definitely find me on social media. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Best Practices in HR. You can also find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube by just typing in my name, which is Brenda Neckvottle, and the last name is spelled N-E-C-K, like the thing you want to choke, V as in Victor, A-T-A-L. And then you can also, of course, learn all sorts of other things on the bestpractices.org website, including where to go ahead and sign up and register for the courses, the online classes, uh, the workshops, and get the books, all sorts of other things. So definitely keep an eye on that website and jump on the mailing list and get a free resource from me when you do so. 
So thank you again, everybody, for joining me today. It's been yet another really great episode. These things go by so fast. Um, I just, I'm, I'm really grateful that you guys continuing to join time and time again. Again, if this is your first time and you enjoyed it, welcome back. You know, come on back and join us again. There's going to be lots of really good stuff coming down the pike. We got uh, some pretty good guests coming up too. We are getting into benefits time frame so we've got some episodes coming we're going to talk about benefits we're going to talk about some federal contracting um, especially if you're interested in um, wanting to understand what federal contracting is and all the HR compliance stuff that comes with that got a great resource we're gonna be looking at how do you deal with some business disruptors we're gonna have a CEO having a seat at the table with HR coming up as well and a lot more so definitely tune in and Jim may be coming back to join us too, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> so you guys have a really, really, really great day. Thanks again. And I